0: Welcome to another episode of embrace the suck with brendan brought to you by wheelahan development this is your host brendan wheelahan sometimes we get kicked in the mouth and life sucks that's just what it is but you're tougher than that you didn't fold you embraced it you grew from it now pay it forward and help the next person in line we don't want the textbook we want real words from real people this is how we build a better world together. If you've battled loss, stress, depression, finances, change, or anything else life throws at us, share your story. You can reach out directly at wheelahandevelopment at gmail.com or through LinkedIn and Facebook at Brendan Wheelahan. And now that that's out of the way, let's get it. Stepping into positional leadership is undoubtedly a huge challenge. You now have direct reports in the organization with eyes on you all the time looking for guidance. You need to be comfortable making tough judgment calls, and do so in a way that pulls the team together rather than pushes them apart. You need to be a coach, mentor, and a trusted partner. If you can do this, it will probably be one of the best jobs you've ever had. If you can't, you'll probably quit within a year. Luckily. I found a friend who's been doing this for a while and has learned a ton along the way. Today, I was able to chat with Jed about his experience when he first became a supervisor and gather his insights on what to expect and how to push through that discomfort of the job. Jed, very excited that you're taking a little time out of your day to have this conversation with me and, and provide some insight for those people getting into leadership positions for the, the first time where you gotta have a ton of eyes on you. Before we hop into that though, give us a little background about yourself. Say hi to everybody.
1: Well, uh, thanks so much for having me today. I appreciate it. My name is Jed Livingcott. I work at uh, Paychex right now as an employer shared responsibility supervisor over one of our service teams. Uh, so we have you know a few different types of teams. So uh, we have ops and we have service. Been with Paychex about two years. Prior to that, I was running a couple of different businesses for a gentleman. Restaurant, Banquet Hall, Marina, uh, where I was, you know, overall leadership there. And prior to that, I worked at Ritz-Carlton for 10 years, where six of it was in a management role, uh, leading one of the accounting teams there doing the day-to-day accounting work. So really, as you can see, some of my background is in a, little, in a couple of different places, um, mainly in the service realm, though. That's where I've always spent my career uh, in the last 20, 25 years, has always been in the service industry, client-facing, really trying to to give that white glove treatment to, uh, any client or interaction that I might have.
0: Sure. Sure. And I assume that translates very well into leadership because if you treat your team with that white, white glove treatment, you probably get a lot of the results that you're trying to get out of them anyways. Right.
1: Yeah. It's, um, you know, service is service. It's all about caring. One of the best things that I ever heard from one of my former managers that I learned a considerable amount from is that you can train anyone to do a job. You can't train people to care. Um, so when, when you approach things with that caring mentality, it really goes a long way. And I, I care considerably for the team that I have, you know, they know that I will do anything I have to, to help them in a particular situation. Um, one of the biggest things I work toward is just trying to make sure that I'm breaking down barriers for them so that way they can do the best they can every day. And so it always ties back to that caring about what they're trying to accomplish.
0: Absolutely. I think it was. I know Richard Bronson of the Virgin Group said it, and then, like I told you before, we started recording, my first job was with Enterprise Rent-A-Car, and they were very big for the phrase, take care of your employees, they'll take care of your customers, and the profits will naturally follow. And for the longest time, especially when I got right out of college, I was like, there's no possibility that a business statement and theory is just that simple. It's got to be like that 50, 100-page business plan, like they always talked about. And the more I try to dispute that simple statement, I was like, no, it's 100% right. If you look at the companies that are really successful, they also have the the, the lowest employee turnover and the highest job satisfaction rating. And
1: yeah, yeah, no. And, and you'll see too, like there's a lot of companies like I'll, I'll compare Ritz-Carlton to paychecks. So the Ritz-Carlton, they have their credo, which is three paragraphs and you you memorize it and you recite it as a team and you go through and it talks about all these different things in these three paragraphs. And on the flip side, you have paychecks that has six values. Mm-hmm. What's funny is those six values really are the same thing as that three paragraph sentence that you have with the credo. Right. And it's just, it's all about, you know, living those values. And like you said, you know, you have those companies that have those really simplified ways of thinking and it does matter because the more you can get people to see those things and remember them on a daily basis, it it really helps to drive the um, the overall kind of ambiance of the business that you're working for and you really feel invested.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I love how you said living the values because there's a big difference between putting a nice little eight by 10 frame picture on the wall with some words on it or actually instilling integrity and partnership and selfless service into the company and the staff that you're, you're leading. Um, but for the most of this conversation here, we're going to talk, I know you're going, to, you're going to have to go back a few years in your memory here. We're going to talk about when you first got into a positional leadership. And again, for everyone listening, leadership is a lifestyle, not a position. So for positional leadership, I'm talking about the positions on the organizational chart that have employees directly reporting to them, your supervisors, your managers, your directors, vice presidents, presidents, et cetera. It doesn't mean that you're not a leader, though. We have other conversations about that on the side. But going back to your first time in positional leadership, talk to me a little bit, if you, best you can remember, about how, how nervous you were, some uncomfortable feelings. What was that like when you finally got the nod like, hey, Jed, here you go. These 10 people are now going to answer to you. So whatever problems they got, find a way to figure it out. Oh, by the way, we have these metrics you have to hit too. take care.
1: Yeah, I uh, um, I think my shoes are still untied from that first time. Like my feet were shaking so bad. Just trying to to really say like, you know, to yourself, like how am I going to get these people to, um, to kind of join into what I'm trying to accomplish? One of the phrases I use the most with every team and every interaction I've, I've ever had is trying to get everyone in the boat rowing in the same direction. So really that was what I was trying to do in the beginning was how do I get these different individuals who have been In accounting, because it was my really first leadership role, how do I get all these people in accounting that have these specialized abilities to understand that we're all working toward the same thing, going in the same direction? Mm -hmm. You know, in accounting, you have accounts payable, you have accounts receivable, you have income audit, you have a general cashier, and they all have these specialized things that they do, but getting them to understand how we work together to achieve a common goal. And I was fortunate enough at that time that we started to really look at Franklin Clovey 40X, you know, and really getting into that four disciplines of execution and, and working together to say, how can we all come together to a common goal and do that? So it really aided me in getting that communication out. It still was very tough to get to learn the, um, the overall kind of umbrella of what they were doing. Mm -hmm. Cause that was the thing when you get when you got into leadership, you can't necessarily learn every step of the way that's going on with your team, you do have to have that trust. You know, that's a big thing with your team is you have to trust that they're doing the best they can every day. But as long as you're giving them the support um, and the encouragement, they're going to do that. They're going to come, uh, come to you with their issues, their opportunities, or if they even have ideas, you know, it, it immediately starts to foster that environment of ideas and the ideations that come about. Like, have we ever thought about doing it this way? We can really improve our productivity. Or if we thought about this, we can get extra revenue. We can cut costs, things like, and it gets the creative juices flowing by doing that. So really that was my first leadership role was getting at learning how to get everyone to really work together, you know, to do those pieces.
0: Yeah, that's, that's huge because if you have five people on the boat, rowing opposite directions, you're just stuck in the middle of the water. You start going in a
1: circle, you know, you got to, you got, you know, this side's going left, this side's going, you just start going in a circle and that's, that's where the issues happen. You know, you don't see any growth and that's really, that circle is the plateau. That's the business plateau because nobody's talking to anybody else.
0: Right, right. And you said it right there. I was going to go back to, is is you mentioned a couple of times, the communication piece, to get everybody on the same page, to make sure they're rowing in the same direction, to make them comfortable enough with you where they can come to you and say, hey, I think we're doing something inefficiently over here. If we change things around, we can probably make some more revenue. What I want to ask you is how do you get to the point where you have that open communication when you still have to be sensitive of you're the new guy on the block coming into a team of people? You know, I understand 100% where you want to go. You want to make sure they have open communication mm-hmm. and we're all on the same page. How do you do that without coming in there and making them feel like you're stepping on their toes or to look at Jed wants everything different, or he's always he's always doing it this way, always talking to us, won't leave us alone. How do you work that balance?
1: Um, two things. Biggest thing is one is transparency. You know, you always have to be honest. You have to be open, communicating with your team. You know, if they're good, bad, and different, you want to make sure you're being upfront, honest, transparent. The second piece is always communicating the why. I've always done that. You know, if, if any is coming down the road or coming through or something we need to do, um, if there's an initiative, ask the team and then say, okay, well, you know, how can we do this? And here's why, here's why we need to do this. Here's what's coming down. And a lot of times that's, I think where leaders go wrong is they don't explain the why, mm-hmm. you know, it's, everyone has a, um, they're, they're naturally going to go towards something that they understand. And if they have all the details, they're going to be more open and honest and willing to, one, bring you new ideas, two, support it, three, you know, work through it completely. They're, they're going to go wholehearted into it. They're not going to, sure. you know, only go halfway, you know, because a lot of people, they, you know, compared to running, like people that if they don't train and they go run a half marathon, they're, they're not going to go more than halfway, but if they, they train and they put all, put all into it, they're going to make it the full distance. Absolutely. So it's very similar to that.
0: Yeah. And on the other side, when you don't explain the why, people are naturally going to start speculating. And then we get the crazy wild theories like, oh, Jed must be telling me to do this because he wants to eliminate my position. That's the only reason he could be asking for all this information. And we start
1: exactly, they 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 start story, storytelling. You know that, yeah, they want to fill in the blanks. You know, it's just like a good mystery novel. You're like, okay, well, where's it going to go?
0: Right.
1: You know, right. they start doing the same thing.
0: Yeah, and I agree 100. percent You have to include the why. One of my favorite books and book that that changed really the way that I look at and everything is Simon Sinek. Start with why. I don't know if you ever mm-hmm. read it, but um, very short. He says people don't buy what you do; they buy why you do it. Mm-hmm. And that really resonated with me. But what I want to ask you, because I agree 100%, I think that is where a lot of leaders go wrong. They don't share the why. Why do you think that is? you think it's a control thing?
1: Um, it could be a, I think it's a combination of a couple things. Like they might not be comfortable explaining. You know, some leaders, they, they think that, you know, they, people don't need to know the why until after it's completed because then they can see the, you know, the result that they've had. So that might be a reason. I know I've seen that a couple of times in my career that that's what they've done. Um, Other one, it's just like you were saying, like they, they want to be shielded. Like they're, they're keeping playing it close to the chest. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't want to, oh, this person's coming for my job. Or if I give them too much, they're going to come after me. And Mm -hmm. what do they need me for if I give everybody else's information? But it's, um, it's not that it's not the case. Like, you know, if you're going to explain this out, it's actually going to make you more successful. Because if your team knows what they're trying to achieve, they're going to be more apt to work that much harder and work through it that much better. And I've always, you know, kind of approached leadership in terms of, you know, the captain of the team, mm-hmm. not the coach.
0: Sure.
1: You know, sure. and that's, that really comes back to it as well, because you want to, you want to be able to, to jump into the, you know, the trenches with them when needed you know to work through everything but at the same time you need to be the one that's also being that you know the one that pushes everyone along to just give a little bit more sure
0: sure and to look back to the piece you said earlier about driving innovation on the team if if you got 10 people on your team and they all know that you want to end up at x location but you don't know how to get there you just got 10 other minds figuring out Mm -hmm. different ways okay so route one is blocked. Let's try route two, three, four. And they're all working for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but you said something there that I think is a big piece that not being comfortable, not being comfortable with, ex- with either explaining the why, whether it be a communication piece, or that you don't have all the details. So you think, I don't want to put out a half ass plan. I don't want to stir up more questions. And I know that from conversations we've had outside of this, a big thing that you've talked about is in leadership, you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable, which sounds very foolish to say it out loud like that, but it's true. You, you, you have to be, um, you have to be willing to just have that little bit of agitation in your stomach all the time.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I and mean, it never goes away. It, it never goes away there. You, you could approach uncomfortable situations on a daily basis, and you're always going to have some small pit in your stomach. You're just more comfortable with that pit in your stomach. Mm-hmm. You know one of the best things that that I ever heard, and I know you and I had talked about this you know on a sidebar, but Brene Brown talks about it. you know sure. it only takes you eight seconds in a conversation to get past that uncomfortable feeling. Mm-hmm. It's like ripping a bandaid off. If you can last long enough to rip the bandaid off, rip the tape off, how, whatever analogy you want to use, you're going to have the most insightful conversation. With the other individual that you will ever have mm-hmm. because now you're being transparent you're being honest and you're going to find out their why behind whatever the conversation is yes. you know a okay. lot of it's seeking yes. to understand so it, you know that being uncomfortable with being uncomfortable like you said it's a very unconventional phrase mm-hmm. but it when you hear it said out loud it starts to make a ton of sense
0: Yes. And I love how you said that the feeling never goes away. Cause I think that's a very important piece that I know I, I doubted for a while. I, I thought that once you get more confidence, then you just, you don't feel uncomfortable. It's like, well, I fixed it, but that's not the case at all. I, especially like, I love to do public speaking and I'm still very uncomfortable. Every time I stand up and start talking, I've just gotten so used to it that it's, I've kind of retaught myself like, oh, it's game time. Like for example, I saw an interview with Michael Phelps a while back. I think it was, I don't know if it was the 08 Olympics or the, the 12 Olympics, but he basically said to the reporter, the way your body physi- physiologically responds to stress and anxiety is about the way, same way it responds to excitement and happiness. Sweaty palms, elevated heart rate, um, shortness of breath. And he just taught his body to look at those situations that would normally be uncomfortable and stressful and tell his body like it's game time. I'm excited for this. And I'm by no means Michael Phelps, but I really try to adopt that mindset, especially when I speak, where I'm still nervous. I still really hope that I don't forget what I was gonna say. I hope that that I come across well. But I use that anxiety and that that uncomfortable feeling in the pit of my stomach to kind of prime myself like it's game time, it's kickoff, you gotta get ready to go. Um, what's it like for you? How do you deal with the consistent or uh, the the consistent, uncomfortable feeling in your stomach? You just go right at it. You got a trick you use. What do you do?
1: I, I mean, for me, it's, it's going at it and it's, um, I know that it's going to lead to a very open, insightful, and creative conversation. So I, I focus more on the result. Like, what am I going to get out of having an uncomfortable conversation or having an uncomfortable situation that I'm going through? at the end of it I'm going to be more insightful and I'm going to learn something out of that situation mm-hmm. so that's what I focus on what's what's the end result that I'm going to, sure. that it's going to happen out of this and that's really where I go um if it's a difficult conversation with somebody on my team it's I know that by me being honest and open and being uncomfortable in the beginning is only going to lead to their growth and development as well because I'm being honest with performance actions um, you know Respect, whatever it might be, I'm only helping them by being open and honest and getting through my own uncomfortableness of communicating sure. it to them.
0: Sure. So you're looking at the big picture, and it's, mm-hmm. at the end there, it kind of sounds like since you're looking at how you can develop the team, you're more doing them a disservice if you don't get over your uncomfortable feeling. Am I hearing you correctly?
1: Correct. Yeah. Like if you can't get past that piece, you're doing everyone around you a disservice because if you just hide in your own uncomfortableness mm-hmm. you're not going to bring forth your own ideas because mm-hmm. you know that's another uncomfortable situation if you're in a team meeting and you're uncomfortable with the conversation that's happening but you have a really great idea and you don't bring it up it never comes to fruition right. if you're you know having a conversation with a teammate and you're uncomfortable about you know something that they did yesterday in a you know in an interaction that you saw mm-hmm. you're not they're, they're not going to know that it made you uncomfortable all of these things, you're you're doing everyone around you a disservice if you basically are handcuffed by your own uncomfortableness.
0: Right, right. Oh, you're spot on. You're spot on. All right, let's go to one of the most uncomfortable things. When you are when it's when it's very visible, you are significantly younger than the people you're leading or trying to influence. It's mm-hmm. it's extremely uncomfortable because, like I said earlier, we make mountains out of molehills in our mind. So whether or not that older person has views is, is usually irrelevant because we've built up such a, um, such a story in our head before we even go into the conversation. But talk to me, think back again when you were first cracking into the positional leadership and maybe you got somebody on your team that is 20, 30 years older than you. They've been doing this job for the last 10, 15 years. So they are the subject matter experts. You're coming in, you're 20 years younger. You got to try and, Connect with them. Maybe they're one of those people that's rowing the wrong direction. You got to kind of like, yeah, we, we got to turn it a little bit.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's very uncomfortable. I remember when I went through my master's program, we had our final presentation. I was 20 to 35 years younger than the other three people on my team. I was like, okay, how do I make sure that I don't look like the young guy wasting their time because mm-hmm. I can't make up for those 20 to 35 or 20 to 35 years of experience that they have on me. Uh, so my answer was just to do a massive amount of research, read as much as I can day in and day out. But I know that's not practical for everybody. I don't expect everybody to do that. What are some other things that you've done in the past to try and get through that, to A, get through that uncomfortableness of the age barrier, perceived or real, and then B, to actually connect with those those people that are significantly older or younger than you?
1: Yeah. I mean, so when I first started my first leadership role, I did exactly what you did in your master's program, like. I figured I'm the manager, I'm the leader. If I can learn everything that they're doing, I will gain their respect by knowing what they're doing, by knowing what they're going through. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to be honest, you know, in the beginning, it seemed like I felt I was doing the right thing. Down the road, I realized that it really wasn't. Like I, I was learning what they were doing, but it wasn't leading to any connections. Mm-hmm. You know, Everyone was still very widespread. Um, at that point, they were all older than me. They weren't all the same age, so they still had some generational differences between them, but they were still older than I was at the time. So, you know, over time, I gained their respect through leading through change and aiding them when they had difficulties and working with them for that, you know, kind of fast forward a little bit further. One of the biggest things that I've adapted to now is trying to, with my generational Differences, because now where I am now I have some people that are much younger than me and I have people that are much older than me so I have it on both sides Mm -hmm. Um, I've learned to try and have the entire team realize that they have more in common than they think you know Mm -hmm. so you find these common areas or these common things that they they've gone through in their their lives or they've done over their you know however long they've been alive whether they've been alive for you know, 20 years or 65, like it doesn't matter if this is their first job or their fifth job. Everyone has common experiences that they've gone through. Um, one of the things that I've really adopted, adopted is something I call water cooler questions. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're similar to icebreaker questions or icebreaker activities, except water cooler questions are things that you can ask immediately. Um, and everyone knows their answer because it's, their life experiences. You know, an example, you know, I know we were talking about cars a little bit ago. Like if I asked you, what was your first car?
0: Ford Mustang.
1: See, you know it right off the top of your head. Mine was in Ford LTD station wagon. Wood panel siding look like Harry and the Hendersons. (laughs) You know, I know exactly what it was. Right. You know, go through another one. What was your first job? Pizza boy. Food runner. You know immediately what exactly your first job was. You don't have to recall. You don't have to spend a lot of time thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And when you pose those questions to the rest of your team, mm-hmm. you'll find out that a lot of them have similarities. You know, example on my team, I have somebody who's 25 years old and I have somebody who's 65 years old. Both of their first jobs were grocery store baggers. hmm 40 years difference between them, but they have the same first job. Right. So when you start to build those commonalities between the team, you build that strong team bond and the generational differences kind of melt away because right. they realize they have more in common than they think.
0: Right, right, right. So basically you're just taking the whole different approach rather than look at the age difference, which is really The only thing that's different, you're gonna sit there and say, Okay, let's find all the things you have in common. Who cares if you did it 40 years apart? You guys are both cashiers. So you know Mm -hmm. what it's like to be a cashier and then you get them connected that way.
1: Yeah, and and it works. And a lot of times, sometimes even like I've asked people like, What was your favorite vacation? You know, and they'll tell me what their favorite vacation was. And then someone else on the team's like, I've always wanted to do that. And then it gives them something because it they may not have the same life experience, but there's Someone on the team who's always wanted to do it. Somebody on my team said they, wanted, they went skydiving, you know, a couple of years ago. Another person's like, I've always wanted to do that. And then they, they end up having lunch together the next day to talk about it.
0: Right. Wow. Wow. Okay. So basically, you know, yeah, you're just using the water cooler questions to keep, and you probably just keep asking different questions until you get everybody connecting at some level, I got to imagine, yeah. right?
1: Yeah. You keep going that way, you know, and um, after a while, I'd probably did water cooler questions with my current team for about a year. Every week I would come with a new question and we'd start off the team meeting. No more than 10 minutes. You would go around the table. You just ask the same question. Everyone would just answer. Mm -hmm. Um, And then after I got to that point, then I started going into a, into a who is it type of game or guess who, where I give them 10 questions and they've got to give me their answers. And then now we go in and I say, okay, this person, if they were to be any, any animal, they would be a lion. And this person, um, their favorite car of all time was a Ford Mustang, you know, and I give them three clues and then I say, okay guys, who is it? Mm -hmm. So now they've gotten to learn everyone for the last year and now they're going to learn more about a single individual. So I've kind of shifted the focus a little bit now, um, to kind of incorporate that a little bit more, but you know, it, it really, when you have those connections and that's really what it's all about, you spend more time at work with individuals than you do with your own family at home. So learning more about them as a person rather than a number or a widget puncher or whatever, you know, whatever, wherever you work, you learn about them as a person. And it goes back to that whole caring that we talked about in the beginning. You, you learn to, to care more about the individuals and you learn more about their history because you might end up having something happen at work and you're like, hey, I, you know, I remember Brendan used to work at, you know, Enterprise Rent-A-Car. I wonder how this works. Right. And you can go ask him a question, Yeah. you know, so it really gives you, yeah. gives you those things that you can really connect on and really talk about. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And now as you say it, that actually happened on my, my last team, buddy on my team rented a car and he got a bill in the mail. He's like, wait a minute, why did they charge me for all this? He's like freaking enterprise. And I picked up, I go, well, I worked, I worked over there. What happened? And he showed me the invoice. I was like, just call him up and tell him this wasn't you at all. It's never happened. And he's like, oh, okay. So he called, like yeah we never did this I forgot what it was running a toll or something and then I mm-hmm. was like oh okay yeah I'll delete it for you and then since there we hit it off off of me telling him how to dispute a charge wow I, didn't, yeah. I guess I didn't think of it till you put it together there
1: exactly and that's what it is like you find these you find these things to bond over mm-hmm. and really I guess that's what it's all about it's being able to bond as people mm-hmm. you know and communicating and talking things through and really working through all of this stuff. It really, it makes a big difference. It's just how you can get everyone to open up about it. Right. And for me, it was those water cooler questions just getting people that questions that they can answer right off the top of their head. They don't have to think about it because mm-hmm. that's a, that's why I shied away from icebreakers because icebreakers are like, you know, if you were any animal, what would you be and why? And then right. everyone's kind of got it. They got to think about it and takes you 30 minutes to go through an icebreaker for 10 people.
0: Right, right, right. Yeah,
1: it kinda so point. Ex- exactly. It kind of defeats the point because now it's not necessarily about life experiences. It's about
0: the best in my opinion, answer yeah.
1: or icebreakers are always about how you're feeling that day. You know, if right. I went it's through true, an icebreaker and somebody asked me like the question, if you could have any superpower, what would it be today? It might be invisibility. Tomorrow it might be. I want to learn how to fly. Right. It depends on how I feel that day.
0: Right. But in yeah. a
1: water cooler question, you would know the answer because it's something you experienced.
0: Yeah. That's a huge, huge spin on it. I like that a lot. I guess I never thought of the icebreakers that way. And it's completely true. If you ask me an icebreaker about what makes me uncomfortable today, it's not going to be the same answer next week or probably mm-hmm. even not in the morning or the afternoon, depending on how the day's going.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, I got time for one more question before we wrap it up. Sure. Here and it's the the connections you were just talking about there so we got to build the connections and how i threw out to you the be trying to become the subject matter expert you mentioned you try to do it i try to do it um, in hindsight that was not what built those connections when i did it on my end how do you build connections on your team you're the new guy coming in you have to win them over you got to build these connections you need, you need to find those subject matter experts So, especially in the situation like you've described, or uh, paychecks, you've taken on jobs that you had no experience in, in in departments, I should say. Mm -hmm. How do you come in, make sure you don't step on somebody's toes, but still find out who your experts are so that they can help you learn the content while you help them remove the barriers and and be the best team?
1: Yeah, um, you know, for me coming into ESR, like I I came into... ESR, which is still, it's only been around for five years at this point. So it's still fairly new. And to be honest, Paychex doesn't have any products that are, that line up with ESR. And it's government regulated. regulated. So we have, we have benefits, we have payroll, we have government So there's so many things that go into this. Um, The best analogy I've ever heard is trying to drink from a fire hose. Mm -hmm. Like you're just getting all this information. You're trying to, you know, figure it out. Mm -hmm. And for me in the beginning, it was, it was learning who on my team new certain subjects or certain aspects of ESR that I could go to and ask questions. And I always have a personal rule for myself is that I never try and ask the same question twice because mm-hmm. I want to learn through it. And, True. you know, when I first started, like I would go to, you know, somebody on my team and say, well, how do I do this? And they would, they'd be like, oh, okay, well, come watch. Like, no, 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 I want you come show me you know and right. i wanted them to to let me drive so that way i could see how it worked and how to do it and for me i think that really gained some respect with them that i wasn't just trying to delegate work to say right. well here here brendan can you fill out this report and make sure you send it to the client and by the way it's got to be 100% right cuz that's on you it's not on me mm-hmm. you know it's not that way i wanted to learn at least learn the basics of what was going on so that that way i could understand it and then when they brought me problems, I would know at least what path I needed to go to try and fix it. You know? Um, so I think really that helped me to to learn and gain the respect of my team was by at least trying to learn what they go through on a daily basis, not necessarily be have to be the subject matter expert in it. Just have an understanding of what's going on. Have an understanding. Exactly. You know, and I think that, you know, like I said, it's it's always been a rule of mine to never ask the same question twice. Like I it drives me crazy if I can't remember what the answer was to a question that I previously asked. Um, You know, and my team will make fun of me for it because they know that's how I am. They know that I don't want to ask the same question twice. So they'll kind of make me sweat a little bit from time to time and they get a good laugh, but that's part of the relationship that I've built with them. You know, we have a very comfortable relationship where they bring me any problem or opportunity they have, with their client, with their system, with their computer, whatever it might be, and they know that I'm going to run through a brick wall to try and solve it for them, um, or at least give them the direction of where they need to go to gain the answer that they're looking for.
0: Right, right. And in the beginning there, you said that you tried to find the individuals on your team that knew those deep aspects of ESR. Mm-hmm. So when you when you took the position, did you get with maybe a peer or somebody and say, hey, what are like the top five most important things here that I need to line up experts for? Or do you just kind of wait for something to pop up and like, okay, I got this question from a client. Who's good at, at tracking?
1: So I, I kind of did two different things. So the first one was I, I did get some insight from uh, from one of the other prior prior leaders who said like, hey, you know, these few people have been around for a while they know a lot about this. They're currently seniors on your team. So they're, you know, kind of taking that lead role. You can lean on them a little bit. And I was like, okay, you know, but I also wanted to find out for myself a little bit. Mm -hmm. So within my first week I was doing, um, you know, one-on-ones with each of them to really, I wanted to learn what made them tick, you know, what made, what, you know, what are they passionate about? What do they enjoy doing? What do they enjoy about their job? you know, what have they experienced through their time and getting to learn, getting to ask those questions. Like I know who on my team is a specific analytical person. They know the data, they know the system. And then I know the other people on my team that are very service oriented, like they know service like no other, they can deescalate any situation that they're handed and that's their specialty. Mm -hmm. So by having those one-on-ones with my team, I was able to actually learn about them and really go through it. And in those one-on-ones, it was I told them it was free reign. Like they could ask me any question they wanted to know about me, you know? So it wasn't just a, you know, sitting down for one-on-one and I'm grilling them with questions like, Oh, Hey, what right. do you, you know, what do you, what makes you really excited about what you, you know, your job? Um, it was more of a conversation, you know, similar to what you and I are having, right. you know, wanted to learn about them, wanted to learn about like really what it, you know, what do they enjoy doing about their job? Because if you ask somebody what they enjoy about their job, that is going to be where you want to go to them to ask them for help.
0: Sure. Yeah. You know
1: if somebody says, "I really enjoy going through these reports. I really enjoy the analytical piece that I'm doing. You know that that's what they understand because that's what that's what they're passionate about. They want to learn more about it. you know if somebody's passionate about caring and learning and you know working with clients, that's who you want to go to if you have a you know an escalation or mm-hmm. um, a client that needs to be transitioned from one team to another, you know things like that you're going to you learn those things about them
0: absolutely, and you just brought it full circle there because we opened up with <laughs> Make sure you take care of your staff and they're happy. They'll take care of your employees. Or I'm sorry. They'll take care of your customers and the profits will follow. And that's exactly what you did right there. Go to your staff, ask them what they enjoy, have regular conversations. You're going to break down those barriers. You're going to build those high-performing teams. Um, to any, everyone out here listening to this, I promise if you just do one of the things that Jed talked about in this episode, you will be a terrific leader because I have a long laundry list of things not to do as a leader. And none of those were brought up in this conversation. So I promise you got a lot of good information here, a lot of good content. Jed, I really appreciate you taking some time to have this conversation with me. I know that I'll be seeing you much more around the office and I'm going to try and jam yeah. you up and see if I can get you to ask the same question twice. This will be my little, little challenge. <laughs> Your
1: challenge. Yeah. All right. We'll, yeah. we'll see. <laughs> yeah, well, again, thanks so much, Brendan. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much. And I uh, hope to chat with you soon.
1: All right. Perfect. Thanks so much.
0: Thanks for joining us for another episode of Embrace the Suck with Brendan. We know you've got a message that can help somebody else right now, and we need to hear it. Reach out directly at wheelahanddevelopment at gmail.com or through Facebook and LinkedIn at Brendan Wheelahan. Until next time.